Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen. Remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. <laughs> well... Oh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of the Pro Basketball Talk podcast here at NBC Sports. I'm Kurt Heelan, managing editor of the NBA page with you as always. And today, going to be doing a little Western Conference preview, which I find to be fascinating because by my count, there's 12 teams that expect to make the playoffs. And <laughs> I think we could all do the math and say, that's not how that's going to work. So bringing in Mark Medina to talk about it. Mark is, uh, well, Mark, you're working for everybody right now, right? Like you are a uh, longtime Western Conference follower and journalist who's covered, been a beat reporter for the Lakers and the Warriors. And Mark, where can everybody find your work now? Because you're, you're a lot of good places. Yeah, well, thanks, Kurt. Um, yeah, doing a lot of different freelance work, not to go all like Wikipedia, LinkedIn page, but I'll rattle it off real quick. <laughs> uh, on the writing aspect, it's uh, with Sporting Tribune, Sports Not, Sports Kita, Sporting Tribune, more Lakers Clippers, Sports Not National, and Sports Kita Q&As with coaches, players, trainers, etc. And then TV, Spectrum Sportsnet, the Lakers uh, flagship channel, uh, go on their shows as part of their uh, rotation of writers, and then uh, go on KCAL 9, CBS LA with Jim Hill on his uh Great weekend shows here in LA and yep. then occasionally on FS1 with Colin Calhurt. And then on the radio side, I uh, do stuff with Fox Sports Radio for all their different national shows. But uh, it's always a yearly highlight of, of going on this podcast because we, we go deep on everything in the NBA. And I, I would just tie this up in a bow here, Kurt. Don't sell yourself short on the 12 teams that think they're going to make the playoffs. I think there's 12 teams that think they're going to win the championship. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. There, that might actually be true. Um, let's start actually with the team that, well, the team at the top of the list, the team that sets the bar. I don't think just for, just for the uh, the West. I think they set it for the NBA. Like, if you're going to win a title this year, you have to be better than the Denver Nuggets, and that's not going to be an easy task. They obviously have the best player on the planet in Nikola Jokic. They bring back all five starters from the team that that won. Uh, you were around this team during training camp. Uh, the vibe from the outside seems to be like, "Hey, we enjoyed our summer, but we're ready to get back to work." And that their their confidence that the guys they lost, um, you know, they, that they've got young guys who can step in, and that they're ready to pick up right where they left off. Yeah, I think you you captured it perfectly. Um, I think that there's a lot of interesting elements here. There's an acknowledgement that there's an unknown for everyone involved. They've never uh, experienced what it's like to win a championship until a few months ago, and they have yet to experience what it's like to try to defend a championship 
but I think that they're trying to guard against the inevitable that all defending championship teams have of complacency, burnout, and other teams giving them their best shot. And they're very well aware that other teams might give their best shot because that's just human nature. And there's been a lot of moves, especially in the Western Conference, which I'm sure we'll get into, to try to knock them down. But I think that what's leaving the Nuggets optimistic are a few things here. As you alluded to, they have most of their championship core back. Nicole Jokic, Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr. I mean, those are really the main guys, Aaron Gordon. And they're all relative, they're all in their prime. It's not like we're right. talking about a championship team where, you know, guys are in their early to late 30s and they're just trying to uh, get through the regular season. Uh, Jamal Murray's further removed from his injuries. Michael Porter Jr. is further removed from his injuries. And so with that, I got a lot of feedback from Calvin Booth the Nuggets general manager, as well as some of the players that um, they really want to go for the one seed during the regular season. And that sometimes isn't really a goal for defending championship teams because they say, well, it's about getting through the grind of the season, yeah. and we're going to pace ourselves, et cetera. And look, like they're not going to go Tom Thibodeau and everyone and like play 48 minutes for everyone, but they're also not going to load manage regardless of, you know, the new NBA rest policy right? <laughs> yes they, that's good they, i think that'll impact other west teams a little more than denver yeah yeah exactly but they they feel that if they get the one seed you know their navigation to get to the playoffs could be less bumpy because of home court advantage favorable opponents but i think the larger part is they feel it'll prime them to be playing at their best in the playoffs than other teams um yeah. but you know the things that do leave them vulnerable and they'll acknowledge it You know, losing Bruce Brown is the main piece, you know, to lesser extent, Ish Smith and Jeff Green. But they feel that uh, through whatever growing pains that they have with losing Bruce Brown, that they're comfortable with it, primarily because they have the championship core back. But also they feel that Christian Brown uh, can mitigate it to some degree because of the growth that he showed most notably in the playoffs, and they're under no illusion. They're not saying, oh, he's going to become an all-star or anything like that. But they feel that he's about the right stuff. He plays the right way. He's a great defender, great hustler. He has potential to become a better three-point shooter. I think when you combine that versus the bigger elements of they have Nikola Jokic and a good championship core, they'll be fine. But Look, I would. I know that you're being a little facetious about 12 teams thinking they can make the West. Not really, actually. I think oh. there are legitimately. In fact, I'll just run through it. Yeah. Before we get down this, but 12 teams: Nuggets and Suns, Warriors, Lakers, Grizzlies, Mavericks, Kings, Thunder, Clippers, Timberwolves, Pelicans. All think they're playoff teams. Yeah. And that's. Yeah, that's I. Actually, I think I've got eleven there, and I didn't put the Jazz in there. Actually, they should probably be in there. They made the playoffs last year, so I mean, like, I just don't know. You know, you've got twelve teams that expect to be there, so they're not all. There will be a cutoff. I just don't think that. By the way, the cutoff is the Nuggets. I think that they're. Yeah. Uh, question will begin. They. You mentioned the thing I most want to talk about, which was how they're going to fill the the Bruce Brown sized gap, Christian Braun. And they're also going to ask a lot of Peyton Watson, who they really were high on. They, look, he didn't play in the finals last year, but when we were around them, like they talk about him, like this, they, the players and they're like, this kid's going to be ready. He's going to be good. Uh, by the way, I'm obligated to say now that would be Long Beach Poly's own 
Peyton Watson, um, that he's ready to step into a larger role this year. I think it's interesting you brought up Peyton Watson because Calvin Booth brought him up as well. And uh, it was kind of the similar idea about Christian Brown last year. Like we didn't really know a lot about him. I mean, we knew he uh, had a lot of success in Kansas and won championships there uh, and was considered a really good scrappy player, but you just didn't know how much playing time he would get because he's a first round pick on a team that's trying to win a championship. Yeah. But his, his larger point is that there is a pathway for Watson to get significant minutes. Um, now it's going to be more gradual, but I think the feeling that they have is that, you know, it's, it's the training wheels to start out. And by the end of the season, he could very well step into the role that Christian Brown wound up having where all of a sudden he's having significant playoff minutes as opposed to just spot minutes during the regular season. Um, but yeah, let's, let's, uh, when we're looking at the ranking here, clearly it is the optimism is they still have a healthy Nikola Jokic, a healthier Jamal Murray, who yes. you know, gets expect will be an all-star player. And, you know, Calvin Booth told me, yeah, we think he'll be all NBA partly because of how good a player he was, especially in the playoffs and that he's further healthy. And there is that financial incentive that if he makes all yep. NBA, he'll get that super max deal. And that basically is, uh, made it clear that there's no extensions coming. They're tabling the talks for next year. So, yeah, they have they have a good challenge on their hand um, where, you know, they, they have the pathway to win. They have everything going for them. But I think the, yep. beyond health for everyone, um, it's really just the unknown of how all the other teams will stack up. Because I would argue, yeah, you're right. There's 12 legitimate teams that can make the playoffs. And I think for a championship, I think that they're – at least from my perspective, I think there's six uh, yes. you know, in in the whole league. I would say Nuggets, Bucks, Celtics, Suns, Lakers, Warriors. I guess yep. you could argue Clippers, but we just never uh, actually see. I, I, so I we, we will we, we will get to them. I just I, I'm off the championship bandwagon with them. Like playoff team, sure, but I'm just I can't get there anymore. Um, ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. Actually, though, you touched on the Suns as the uh, t- title contender, and that's who I wanted to go to next because I- I'll be honest with you, my tears come out uh, the day this podcast comes out. Um, or the day after, I should say. My East tears will come out Thursday, Friday. My West tears will come out. And I have vacillated between putting the Suns in the very top tier with the Nuggets or putting them in a second tier of, for lack of a better word, fringe contenders. Like, they're a contender, but I need to see more proof from them. I, or they need to do things. Th- things need to break their way. Uh, the Warriors and Lakers, who we'll talk about, are on that tier. Where like they're absolutely contenders, but there's just not much margin for error. D- do you believe Phoenix has... Look, they have Kevin Durant. They have Devin Booker. They have Bradley Beal. Do they have enough defense and depth? Yeah. I agree with you wholeheartedly that they're in this tier where things have to break their way. 
I think that they have enough depth as far as, you know, additional offensive help. Oh, gosh, but yeah. I don't think that they have enough defensive depth. I get why they trade DeAndre Ayton, but I am not a huge fan of that move to get Nurkic because he's not a great defender. He has injury concerns. He's going to set a lot of great screens. He's a great passer. He'll get KD and Booker uh, and Beal some open shots. Can space the floor, yeah. Yeah, and space the floor. And I know that in light of Aiton's disappointing shortcomings, especially in the playoffs and the likelihood he would eventually get frustrated with having a reduced offensive role because you have Bradley Beal and Duran and yeah, Booker. Yes. I, I felt that there could have been a pathway of at least better success because Frank Vogel, he's a new voice. He's proven he can empower him to really relish that defensive anchor as well as, you know, placate him into a little bit of gaining him some more offensive looks than Monty Williams is willing to do. Um, but yeah, I have some skepticism about Nurk staying healthy. And I think even though I think um, X's and O's wise, I don't see much hiccup with Bradley Beal and Kevin Durant and Devin Booker figuring things out. Their injury history is their injury history. And yeah. um, I don't doubt that they'll play really well when they're available, but I do doubt how often they'll be available. And that um, that's going to be a really tenuous thing that, we're going to see promising signs during the season. We'll see disconcerting signs during the season. And we'll ultimately won't know, you know, barring something major that happens, we won't really know the full answer to that question until the playoffs start. Yeah. I, they, I think it's going to be a huge year for Devin Booker because he's the one guy who he's had some injuries, but is more likely to be, let's put it this way. He's most likely of those three to play 65 games and qualify for postseason awards, which, um, that's a whole nother discussion about that number and whether it's fair or not. Um, yeah, I was, was going to add, someone told me, I forget who it was, someone in the league. It's like, look at a number of games played this season. A lot of 66, 67, yep. 68. I wonder why. <laughs> yeah, well, and it's funny. There was a lot of, um, I, don't, I don't think Giannis was this way, but there were a whole bunch of guys who were 62, 63. And you know those will get up to sixty six this year, right? Like, the, the the there'll be just a little bit more to make sure they clear that path. But on the flip side of that, uh, barring injury, if you're I don't and we will get to them in a minute. But if you're the Lakers with LeBron, is your target not now sixty six? Like I know LeBron wants to play a lot of games, but you know he'll turn thirty nine. Like there are certain players you might just target that number for. So. Yeah, that that's LeBron specifically um, will be a revealing case study because within the rules of this new policy, he's on on the exemption list because he's over yes. 35. And so the Lakers don't have to do as much of this dance about, you know, resting him when he has an ailment or being calculated with how they manage back to backs. Um, and look, I think LeBron's about the right things for the most part and plays the right way. But yeah, he's a competitor and I'm sure that um, he'll want to be eligible for awards. But I think in fairness to him, you know, I know that he's had some injuries, but he hasn't sat out because of quote. No, when he's missed, when he's missed times, it's when he's missed time, it's been legitimate. It's been just, and the fact that you, he's again, not just 39, but as I I noted in my uh, now or never 
Lakers preview. He is 600, no, 500 and something minutes. I forget the exact number off the top of my head. Short of passing Kareem Abdul-Jabbar for most playoff and regular season minutes combined. Like he will have more miles on him by, frankly, before Christmas, frankly, you know, before Thanksgiving, frankly, than any player in NBA history. And that's, that's a crazy, crazy stat. I, I, I don't know if he... I don't know if he holds up through that, right? Like, I, I, I mean, he, it's just the, the injuries he's had are more natural than 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 like him holding out or him like just load managing. That's not really what he does. Um, well, since we're on the Lakers, they had a really strong offseason, right? Like, I this is a better team than the one we saw in the conference finals, right? And this all ties together with what you're talking about with LeBron. I mean, the the short answer about LeBron is that the math formula uh, that equates his availability and how he plays, no doubt it gets complicated with father time and being a year older. But there's new variables in this complicated math equation that we'll see how it plays out that could tilt in his favor. When you look at his history with the Lakers, when they've had – when they've had shorter off seasons, he's ha- he's been able to recover better. Obviously, now this was a shorter off season for him because they got to the West Finals, but there is optimism internally that he won't have to deal with the same level of fatigue and burnout that you know uh, contributed to him floating yeah. retirement possibilities after the Western Conference Finals sweep. Um, because the roster around him. And when you look at the splits pre and post all-star, I think he was at 36 pre all-star 34 post all-star and that's two minutes, but you add that up through a yeah. course of the season that adds up and that all has to do with roster construction. So there, there is a lot of optimism that he's not going to have to have the same level workload that we saw last season because of, Lack of depth, Russell Westbrook's poor fit, even though, you know, there were some successes, some failures with him having that um, yeah. central that, you know, LeBron was becoming the scorer. He was becoming the guy and there is more of a natural pathway for him to uh, reduce his workload, at least from scoring. And so with that, I think that there could be less wear and tear, but reality is he's got a lot of miles on his engine and when that happens anything can happen <laughs> so you never know uh, with the Lakers it does I mean yes I agree there's a lot more depth and and I also look Austin Reeves and he showed it at the World Cup is a, a, ready to take even another step forward I think um, that is a steal of a contract they got him on by the way I um I get why other teams didn't bid mathematically, like just tying the money up when you knew the Lakers would match, but that's a steal of a contract. <laughs> it bit a little over $50 million for the four years and a player option at the end of that. Um, the more, the bigger question for me is if this is going to work for them, it's got to be playoff Anthony Davis, right? It has to be a guy in the Defensive Player of the Year conversation and contributing considerably on offense. And he's got to do it for 70-ish games. And I, I think it's fair to ask if he's got that 
if, if he can do that, just health wise. Yeah. Um, I think even though LeBron's got to be healthy on LeBron, I think the biggest variable that you hit on is that Anthony Davis has to be mostly durable and he mostly has to be the main focal point um, for them to be successful. And yeah, there's a lot of other things, LeBron, uh, how consistent the rest of the rotation is where there's at least a, not a definitive number three guy, but a composite character number three guy that, you know, yeah. of any combination of role guys, you'll, you, you'll at least get something from one of them on a game to game basis, but it all starts with Anthony Davis. And I think what, what's, revealing here and we'll see if this is just preseason optimism or actual you know tangible optimism that um the lakers are under no illusion that ad will be able to play all 82 games but they have real practical reasons to think that he's not going to have the same level of injury issues that he's had in the past and here's why um technically last season he missed 26 games it all had to do with his right foot but yes. when you look at the finer details of it, uh, he missed 20 consecutive games from late December to late January. The six games after that were just, you know, front office medical staff saying sit him on back-to-backs just to be careful. But since January of this year, he hasn't suffered a major injury. That doesn't mean he won't ever suffer a major injury, but they are – comforted that he never suffered a major injury at any point after that last season. Number two, um, they felt like he made a lot of progress this off season with his training. And that's not to say that he didn't train hard in other seasons, but they feel like it was a lot more effective with not just getting him in really good shape, but that would help with injury prevention. And that's part of the reason why they gave him the extension in the first place. Um, so yeah, what that looks like, he's not going to play all 82, but you know, don't be surprised if he, if he goes over 65, not just because of award eligibility, but because his body will allow it. And hopefully it does. Like I said, like I said, I think their, their chances ultimately hinge on him and I have them in that the things have to go right category. Just because it's just that they have to get LeBron and AD healthy and relatively rested, but like ready to go for the playoffs. And if they are, they're a threat to everyone. Uh, that's certainly true of the other team I have at that category, the Warriors, uh, a team you've been around plenty. They lose Jordan Poole, pick up Chris Paul. Uh, that fit seems to be going pretty well in training camp. Yes. And we all everyone feels good in training camp, but again, I think that there <laughs> have been to their credit, tangible signs that this can work. Um, you know, I even asked Steph Curry when they were in town in LA last week, this very question, as well as to Steve Kerr about under the caveat, it's training camp. What, what things have emerged that give you comfort that this partnership can work for both sides, for both the Warriors and for Chris Paul. And the thing that they talked about was that the fact that there's a lot of communication, there's a lot of eagerness from Chris Paul in wanting to fit in. And that's saying something because he's a future Hall of Famer, one of the best point guards, if not the best point guard of this past generation. Yeah. Um, 
and you know before Steph's prime years, right? Um, and it's also the Warriors wanting to make him feel comfortable and respected, and you know be able to allow him to flourish the way that he's used to. And so they feel that because of his Hall of Fame credentials and the fact that he is a veteran voice that can complement Draymond Greens the same way Andre Iguodala once did and David West, Salza Pachulia, and Charles Livingston did to a lesser degree, that this can work. But, you know, Steph acknowledged the ultimate is that we can have the right plan and say the all, all the right things. The game will reveal itself because inevitably – the plans won't always work out the way it does that, that you envision on certain yeah. games. And how, do, how does everyone react to that? Um, but I think that because of the character of Chris and the fact that even though he's never come off the bench his entire NBA career and that he has been used to playing a certain way, I think in fairness to Chris, he is an intelligent basketball player and personalities aside, X's and O's, he actually is fairly easy to play with. Like even last season, um, he supplemented his role to accommodate Kevin Durant just fine without complaining. He played off the ball. And I think the ultimate bigger question for him is more of, can he stay healthy? And that's, that's the great unknown, but the Warriors have some relative comfort that because they have Steph Clay and Draymond, they have depth, they have a, a proactive medical staff that they can safeguard against some of those worst case scenarios, but yeah, these are all tangible things that they know the landscape. They have the preseason optimism lens right now, but they also have the, the practical lens of how can we, you know, mitigate and prevent certain worst case scenarios from happening that leave them relatively comfortable. And I think what Chris brings them ultimately, especially if he, again, if assuming he's healthy in the postseason is, if they can just improve the non-Steph minutes, they become so much more dangerous. They've always been good with with him on the floor, but I mean, even going back to the Durant years, the second Curry stepped off, this was not as good a team. And the year they won the championship a couple of years ago, they were actually in the negative when he was off or flat when he was off. And they've got to get back to that. They've got to get back to flat to slightly positive when Curry's off the floor and Chris Paul, especially with what uh, Jonathan Kamingo's looked good. He has looked better this, this off season. If you can run a Kuminga in his athleticism with Chris Paul pick and roll type of situation and with the second unit and space the floor around them with enough shooting, that's, that might be enough. That, yeah. that might be enough. We'll see. Um, We'll see about the center position. I, the, the starting thing, I, I'm with you. Ultimately, I think Chris Paul will accept that he's just got to come off the bench. That starting five is too good to to not start. Yeah, and I think that uh, this is all fluid and matchup-based and performance-based. Yeah. But I think the Warriors themselves are also flexible with this. I mean, Kevon Looney is no longer just, oh, the role player that can roll with the punches and do anything. Um, he is... Um, you know, we'll probably a stretch to say he'll be an all-star this season, but he is part of that core championship team. And he's, you know, talking to him as far as him coming off the bench, he's going to continue to roll with the punches because he's so used to that. But I think when it comes to evaluating what's the best 
lineup to have, they have that chemistry. They have that continuity. And so I think that they, instead of announcing ahead of time, this is what we're going to do. Um, I think Steve Kerr is just taking the tack that the, the rotation will settle itself out because of the games. And maybe that's the easier selling point. And so I know that yeah. I'm not under any illusion that there's not going to be any struggles or tension or competitive frustrations that Chris might feel or anyone on the Warriors might feel. But I think that the level of sacrifice can happen because of the unique circumstances that Chris Paul is at the stage of his career where the only thing that he has left is to win a title. His Hall of Fame resume is going to stand on its own with or without it, but he wants to win a title. And two, um, there's more of a willingness to buy in and sacrifice when you're with the Warriors because you have Steph yeah. Curry, Clay Thompson, and Draymond Green on your team, and they're proven players. And, you know, uh, they're proven individual players, and their culture has been proven of knowing how to play the right way to ultimately win. Um, and so the sausage making process, I think, will have its you know ups and downs. But I think ultimately, I don't know if they'll win a title, but I don't think it's going to be one of these things where it's just a colossal failure and it blows up in their face sort of yep. experiment. Let's talk about some of the other teams uh, in the West that, uh, again, with those playoff aspirations. Um, we saw the Sacramento Kings uh, down here in, in Los Angeles. I saw you at that game. My kind of takeaway from that was they looked like the Kings. And then that was not a game with the Monta Sabonis and, and what have you. Their offense is going to be great. Their defense still didn't look that very didn't look very good. I don't see how they really improved it. If they don't, my concern is just they're the same team, but the West got better. The West is going to be better, and they uh, they had incredible injury luck last year. I think they were the least injured team in the league or lost the fewest man games to injury. It's just going to be hard to maintain the level they did last year with no real changes to that roster. Yes, and I think that uh, I don't necessarily uh, – well, not necessarily. I don't buy the hope that Mike Brown is preaching to the guys as well as the – internal belief that they can be a serious championship contender. That's what they're preaching uh, because of what they did last season. And it's about building. But I think that practically the lane of remaining status quo was the better play than trying to make other moves because they felt, you know, their core players are still in their prime and yeah. let's lean into continuity and chemistry. And so the improvement from within that Mike Brown is trying to preach to the group is let's add a level of physicality to our identity for a few reasons. Um, they felt that their offense was so dynamic during the regular season and they, they want to continue to lean into that. But when the games slowed down in the playoffs, they didn't have the same level of effectiveness when they ran their half court set. So they're trying to tweak their offense specifically in the half court. And then the physicality part, they just want to be able to stand up to, you know, the Warriors and anyone else that wants to rough them up um, because they they adapted to it, but they weren't quite ready for it. Uh, and I'm not just talking about Draymond's, like, step over on, yeah. <laughs> on the bonus and all that. It's just, you know, the, the elbows and the rebounding battle. I thought it was telling, talking to Mike Brown uh, during training camp, 
you know, when he reflected on the game seven loss to, to the Warriors, he was saying, yeah, you know, we can bemoan Steph's 50 point performance all you want and all that. But he very much believes that if they won the rebounding battle and if Kevon Looney didn't like outmaneuver them completely, they could have won the game even with Steph Curry going off because uh, as much as you don't want Steph Curry to go off, like, do you really have an answer for that uh, beyond trying to make him work hard and wear him out? The, the bottom line is usually the formula is we can live with that kind of star player performance so long as we're taking care of everything else. And so uh, I know talking with the Kings, that's their level of focus as well as just trying to improve from within. You know, De'Aaron Fox taking on a, an yeah. even better leadership role with trying to spark more competitive juice out of everyone. Keegan Murray having more of an on-the-ball presence, not just relying on off-the-catch off shooting. Sabonis working on both hands uh, and being able to finish with both hands, being more physical. Uh, and then, yeah, improving as a defense because, ironically, they were not an elite defensive team. But I think because of all that, that's where Mike Brown feels like, you know what, because of my credentials, we can improve from within. But the larger point that you were making, I don't think it's enough for them to contend with the other teams in the West. But I think, you know, depending on seeding, they could at least be better than last season uh, so that they make the second round. But I think when we're looking at the Nuggets as a reference point, maybe that's all that they need. You know, you you lean the continuity because they have no other choice. And then, you know, maybe in next season and and two seasons, they do have more of that realistic pathway to be a serious contender. I'm not as sold. Uh, I was at Los Angeles Clippers Media Day uh, and I've talked to them. There's a real confidence around that team that, that, A, Mark, they're taking the regular season seriously now, even if Kawhi Leonard is saying – we had to explain media members had to explain the player participation policy to him. He had, <laughs> he knew nothing about this and uh, was kind of like, well, no policy is going to make me play fewer or more games. It's just going to be what it's going to be. Um, I'll tell you what worries me about them. And it's not just the, the, you know, how, we'll see how many games Kawhi and Paul play. Cause obviously when they're both on the floor, especially Kawhi, I mean, in when we got to see him last year, he, you know, 50 games in that playoff, the, the couple of playoff games, he's as, he's an all NBA level player still. Like he is still so very good when he's on the floor, but my concern is less them. And just that the roster around them has gotten old. And just the, the, there was a couple of years ago where you're like, man, they've got Kawhi, they've got PG and they've got a fantastic group of role players around them. I don't feel as strongly about the role players now, even with Russell Westbrook kind of taking a step up last year. Yeah, it's a fair point. I mean, when we're talking about injuries, it's, it hasn't just been Kawhi Leonard and Paul George that are the poster child of it because of who yeah. they are and the importance of the team, but they have had overlapping injuries with the role players too, with exception of Russell Westbrook. And so um, I think that on paper, as we've seen in past seasons, there's outside of having, you know, a traditional point guard, which Russ mitigates that to some degree, there was never any feeling that they had any specific weakness beyond being healthy, but they're in this weird gray area where they have a bunch of 
good role players, but does it really move the needle? And that move that you know yeah. related to the whole James Harden conundrum, where yeah. you know the Clippers are certainly entertaining the possibility, but not quite ready to do that because of not just what they feel having continuity and depth can do, but also all the unknowns about James Harden's health and how he is with adjusting his role because he hasn't had the greatest track record these past few stops with adjusting that. But it's also on Philadelphia's end that they don't feel like unless the Clippers are going to trade their stars all of a sudden, which they're not, uh, that they really have much to offer because the, the Sixers expectation is that we're only going to make a deal if the deal still gives us a realistic pathway to contend yeah. for a title with Joel Embiid. And that that's a high bar to raise because for teams that want James Harden, they're having to make this calculus that giving up a lot of depth along with all the unpredictability that comes with signing up for James Harden isn't worth it. Yeah. Um, but to your original point about if the, if the Clippers just stand pat, what does this mean? I think that it can mitigate some of the injuries um, and kind of the urgency that we saw the, t- the team play with in recent seasons because there was always this weirdness with them during the regular season. And it's not to say they weren't trying or they weren't competing or taking it seriously, but because of both real injuries and the medical staff pre- being proactive, not only was there just so much turnover and you know, lack of real chemistry, but there was always this feeling that they're, they're operating in a way that defending championships teams do. Um, And they weren't ever a defending championship team. Uh, So how do you like have that level of energy and urgency to really have the pathway uh, to contend for a title? And so I think with having more training camp, that's conducive to, running conditioning and urgency that that'll help them with seating. But I think the other thing is that if, and when there are injuries, their hope is that they can alleviate some of the concerns of, did they give Kawhi and PG and other players enough ramp up time to get on court reps? Yeah. So they are ready for the bigger workload as opposed to, you know, the analogy of, you know, the classic car sitting in the garage forever. And then all of a sudden you're taking them out and driving, you know, over the speed limit on the freeway. Like that usually doesn't bode well for the engine. Uh, but yeah, I'm in wait and see mode because I've just heard it over and over again every season. Yeah, we're good only if we stay healthy. And that just hasn't happened regardless yeah. of how careful they are, regardless of how much, they try to put more urgency into the short term with the regular season. And the Clippers with Harden, look, Harden would help. He would fit well, I think, with them. Um, It also, it's a weird dynamic as of us taping this. There have been no extension. Seriously, I mean, they've talked extension at some level with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, but it doesn't seem anywhere close. They're kind of in an interesting spot because normally you'd be like, hey, Maybe it's time to pivot. Except they're entering the new building next year, and and Steve Ballmer is not going to want to enter the new into a dome with, um, with a rebuild. You know, uh, it, it's going to have to be something. But if you get Harden, and let's you know, 
let's say they work out that deal and I'm not, you know, I, I, there's no reason for the Clippers to up their offer right now. They're the lone suitor, but let's say however it gets worked out, it gets worked out. Mark, do you want to re-sign Harden, re-sign or extend Kawhi and Paul George who have player options for next year, extend them at whatever number for a couple years beyond that? Do you want to be locked into that core for three more years? I want it, but I think the Clippers feel uh, what's the alternative and they don't want to tear it down. And then number two, I think ever since the playoff exit happened against Phoenix last year, um, and, you know, this might, depending on the listener, this might be another example of the Clippers delusion or, um, or they're just looking at it practically. They feel that the injuries with Kawhi and PG are more circumstantial than structural. And here's why. With Kawhi, they felt like even though they stressed his meniscus wasn't related to the ACL, the further removed he is from the ACL means that he's not going to have to have such a you know recovery ramp up time as he had before and number two he's still in his prime with pg they mentioned his injuries were you know look uh lou dort and him collided and injuries just happened it wasn't you know body mechanics structural issues it was just the randomness of nba competition. Yeah. so because of that that's why they are adamant that they feel they can get through a season not all 82 but similar to anthony davis that we're going to see them more on the floor than off the floor but look i i buy a little bit of the lakers optimism on ad but i've just you know i've just seen the same thing all the time with the clippers these last few seasons where you know even if obviously there's no blame on them like injuries happen it just feels like there's always something behind the corner that happens at the most inopportune time. Uh, the team I think that could make a leap up into contender status this year, because I think the talent is there is the Memphis Grizzlies, but they've also got a lot to overcome. Obviously no John Morant for the first 25 games. Uh, at least he's around the team, which is good for them. Uh, but they've certainly got the talent and I, I like the locker room additions of Marcus Smart and and Derek Rose in bringing some maturity to that locker room and some. It's not a lack of competitiveness, but uh, are, are my my NBC's uh, Corey Robinson used to describe them as a punk rock team, like all energy, <laughs> all up in your face, but like no discipline. Um, I think that helps with that. If a they can, like I said, mesh with Mark. Um, mesh with jaw coming back, which I don't think is going to be too big an issue. If Marcus smart can be a better version of Dylan Brooks in some ways, like the elite defender who in his case, in Marcus's case, actually, you know, makes some shots and, and, and is a little more trusted on offense. And if uh, they need Steven Adams, uh, who has not really played much. I, I don't know what he exactly, they're kind of quiet about his health situation, but he has not played much at all and since last middle of last season. And they need him next to Jaron. They need a big body next to Jaron Jackson Jr. to let him be that guy. That said, I love Desmond Bain. I like that roster. Um, I think the talent is there to be a threat. I just, it's a lot of pieces have to come together. 
Yeah, you hit the nail on the head of a lot of pieces have to come together. I think that they'll at least have addressed to some degree the locker room immaturity issues. I mean, John Morant missing 25 games, I think it'll finally sink in. Uh, having current yeah. leadership with Marcus Smart's going to help too. And so I think that they are going to pay more attention to it's about the basketball and not the trash talk and trying to be, yeah. you know, the young punk team that thinks that they know it all because that just wakes up the sleeping giants that are veteran teams. It's not a coincidence that both the Warriors and the Lakers, you know, took some showing fraud joy when they would beat up on them because yeah. that is like, who do you think you are? But I think that outside of, you know, you never, I don't have rooting interest, but you just never root for injuries, but just like practically outside of some of the teams that we talked about being contenders outside of any of those teams having injuries, I don't see them having a pathway into climbing into championship contending status. I still think that they're in that we're a sneaky good playoff team, but I think their ceiling uh, is second round at best and and that's it. And better luck next year sort of vibes. Yeah. Who do you think is better this season or ends up with a better season? Pelicans or Timberwolves? Pelicans or Timberwolves? Yeah, that's a good question because, like, it would be an easy answer. Well, it's an easy answer for both. If Zion's healthy, it's clearly the Pelicans. If it's not, if it's, not it's clearly Minnesota. But we don't know the answer yeah. to Zion's availability. Um, I mean, they're, the, the minute you think that he's turned the corner and yeah. everything is great, then all of a sudden he's not available. And then the minute you start thinking, ah, like the Pelicans should just, you know, addition by subtraction and cut their losses is the moment that Zion shown, no, you should stay patient with him because he's a really good player once he's on the floor. Yeah, there, um, there's no, there's nobody like him in the league when he's going. And that roster, I don't, I, there's just the questions I have, like, can he really fit at a high level next to Brandon Ingram? Do they have enough defense? Where does Herb Jones fit into, like, uh, what about Valanciunas? Like, all the questions still revolve around, I don't know, because I need to see them next to Zion Williamson for an extended period of time. I think I think the Timberwolves will be better this year, don't you? I think that it'll they'll just have Carl Anthony Towns for the whole season. I think it'll um, having Mike Conley there to facilitate better. I just I think they'll be better. I just don't know how good they'll actually be. And by the way, just pivot. All right, it's time. I, there's going to be some ugly trades. It's time to pivot around Anthony Edwards. Anthony Edwards is your future. So he is the future. I mean, he already. Uh... He already showed Steve Kerr, hey, don't hold me back on Team USA, and uh, ultimately will be that with Minnesota. I think in fairness to him, he is he's struck the right notes of like being the and being the intriguing young talent that continues to grow and has this really confident personality without being the young kid that thinks he knows it all and rubs the vets the wrong way. So I think that he, to his credit, will continue to like respect the pecking order and the leadership structure. And I think in fairness to cat, like when he's available, he's been well, but I I just think from his talent standpoint, it's inevitable that it's going to be his team. And, 
you yeah. then have to assess and he has to assess like, is this the best win environment for him? Now, I don't want to be the guy that's saying, oh, he's out because like that's way too premature. There is a pathway that he is the homegrown talent that Timberwolves fans will enjoy for his whole career. But, you know, there's always these fluid moving parts that, you know, everything yeah. has to hit well. But I think that in fairness to Ant and fairness to the Timberwolves, I think that they both want to make this work and they both feel, you know, they're better off with each other. And I think that, you know, Ant's probably going to have more of the say in that. But I think that if we're up to him, he'll be the homegrown play with Minnesota, the whole career star than the next star that leaves for quote unquote, better pastures, but you know, uh, NBA is results oriented and it's fluid. So we'll, we'll wait and see. Absolutely. Um, are you on the, on board with what's been kind of the conventional wisdom that watch out for the thunder this year? They maybe even could crack the top, crack the top six, but they absolutely are an improved playoff team, uh, with Chet Holmgren next to Shea Gilgis Alexander. I'm absolutely on board that they're a playoff team, but I'm not on board that, uh, oh, they're championship contending or in the top tier. Oh, no, no. I, I have seen that. Um, so I like Shea. They have Chet Holmgren. He's great and he's healthy. And I've lost track, but I think it's what, like they're at a million draft picks now? Yeah, roughly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> roughly. Um, and they picked up two more in the weird uh, Kevin Porter Junior, you know, they, they picked for taking him on and, and waiving him, which, you know, we can debate whether they should even do that considering what he was charged with. Um, right. They picked up two more draft picks, two more second round picks for that move. And I'm like, really? All right, you need more? Yeah. They already, they literally have 19 before the end of the decade and they picked up two more. So. <laughs> but I think first things first, they, they have to be a playoff team and I could see them winning the first round, but yeah, we'll we'll pump the brakes on contention status, just yeah. you know, at least for next season. Wembyamba is going to be must watch this year, obviously, and I think we're all excited about that. But you were around, uh, you you were in Santa Barbara for a while with the uh, Trailblazers, I believe. What, what was the vibe around them and the and the the I'll call it the Scoot Henderson era now? Well. I originally was going to go to uh, Santa Barbara for them, but I then changed course to do another day in San Diego with the Nuggets. But I can answer your question, at least, that uh, I don't have the training camp vibes, but I at least have the the phone call vibes and also the vibes at Summer League. And I know some of this predates, you know, the resolution on Damian Lillard, but like just phone call vibes. And also before that, the feeling was that, Yes, we are right in making the decision to draft Scoot Henderson because he is a special player and he's about the right things and he's just going to continue to get better. And so talking with people with G League Ignite, where he played and talking with people in Portland, um, they just feel that he has a very unique skill set that can't be replicated elsewhere with how athletic and quick he is and how great of a passer he is and how much of a team first guy he is and how much of a worker he is. And for young t- players, especially even draft picks, draft lottery picks, sometimes you don't have those qualities. And so because of that, they feel that he's going to make an instant impact right away. He's going to, you know, fit in with teammates around him and, you know, be good friends with them because he's all about getting them the ball. 
he'll set a great example where it's uh, he'll have leadership respect because it's by example and not words. And the, the fourth thing is that his weakness about his shooting, they feel it's not as serious as it, as it could be because, you know, whether it's his personal trainer, Brandon Payne or Portland or G League Ignite, they say that he's put in the work to improve his shot. And that too, even though it's a weakness now, uh, he has such a unique skill set that he can rely on that to still make an impact. And he'll put in the work and continue to put in the work to turn that weakness into a strength. So, yeah, I'm ready for the Scoot Henderson era. It's going to be fun, especially, you know, it, it was tough what happened with Damian Lillard and, you know, there were, yeah. things mismanaged on both sides. But I think I'm of the believer that they made the best deal that they could have under the circumstances. Well, I think, yeah, I think and, actually they, that I think they did as well as one could possibly yeah. hope. And I think Deandre Ayton's going to do well with a bigger role, new environment. And they have a lot of good young talent with Anthony Simons and Shaden Sharp that, you know, they're, they're not contender status, but they're, they're the playoff sneaky, good team status, which like, Maybe for Portland fans, they're used to that, but I think that's a better starting point for a young team that has a future than a veteran team that, hey, they're just kind of going in the same direction every season. I think Aiton will be happier. Uh, we'll see how long how that works, but he's going to get touches. He'll be a little more focal point of the office, certainly more than he would have been in Phoenix with Booker and Durant and Beal. And by the way, the guy who's looked really good when I've watched them this preseason in Amphrey is Simons, Amphrey Simons, who was obviously very good before, but um, playing next to Scoot, that is going to be fun. Athletic. Look, again, they're not going to win a lot of games, but they might be pretty high on my league pass rank, you know, watch list by the end of the season. Cause I just think they're going to be entertaining. And as those guys get better, it's uh it's going to be fun. Um, I think the jazz are really athletic. I'm not sure I'm not sure how much of a step forward they take. They they believe they will. Internally, they see it. Um, I'm a little less sold. And then Houston is going to be better. So good for them. Um, <laughs> yeah, they'll be better. I don't know if it's enough to make the playoffs. I don't think, I don't it's enough think to make so. The playoffs, but yeah. Um, yeah, I think, you know, the fact that they have Emi Adoka there, he'll, he'll I, get out all the nonsense. I, I think they'll tur- make a turn towards the right direction because of Udoka, not, like you said, not putting up with the nonsense because of their guys maturing a little bit. And I like they bring in Fred Van Fleet, who's a pro's pro, right? And and models and stuff. All that makes them better. I'm just – maybe they flirt with the play-in, but that's about as good as it gets. And it's just part of it is the West is so deep. The West is just so deep. Like, they're not better than the Jazz. They're – Maybe the Pelicans or Timber, you know, somebody gets injured and uh, there's, you know, there's plenty of teams where, hey, they're one injury away from falling behind these guys. And we didn't even talk about Dallas yet. And I don't know, Ark, have you heard the, it's just the vibes out of that training camp seem weird. I don't know. They, they'll be good. They've got Luka. They've got Kyrie Irving. They're going to put up a lot of points. Starting a rookie. And I like Lively a lot, but they're starting a rookie at center and, I don't know. I'm. I, they don't feel like a. I mean, they feel like a playoff team, but I don't know. Yeah, I think they're a playoff team just because they have Luca and Kyrie, but I, I don't think that it's that's enough to be contending status. Um, nope. Yeah. So, 
It'll be it's entertaining at least. And I think that we can say that, Mark, about the whole West, right? Like the fun part about the Western Conference this year, and it's going to suck for coaches, is there's no nights off. There's just not – I mean, the, we're talking about, hey, Portland and San Antonio really aren't going to make the playoffs. They've got like really good young players and kind of an up and coming vibe. And like the Rockets might not make the playoffs, but they've got, they're going to be, but there's just not going to be an easy night in the West. And it's, it's going to make for, again, a lot of sleepless nights for coaches, but it's good for you and me and the, and the fans listening, Mark. Yeah. We'll have a, we'll have a lot of games to watch. And I think the good thing is every team wants to win, but for some of these exciting teams, specifically the Spurs, I think a good thing is that they don't have, expectations that we have to make the playoffs the yep. first season. And that doesn't mean that they can just coast and who cares, but it allows them to really establish playing the right way and getting the chemistry solidified so that they're ready to make that push beginning yeah. next season. I think the same idea would apply to the Rockets as well. Yeah. And by the way, Popovich won't let them coast. And the other question I won't have to answer is, Wait, Devin Vassell got how much? Like, people will now watch the Spurs and go, oh, hey, Devin Vassell's really good. Yeah. <laughs> so he deserves, I don't know, you know, that, that's, that's, my, there's going to be, Mark, you and I are going to be talking about this a lot. There's so much sticker shock that's going to happen over the next five years with NBA salaries just because of where the cap is and what, what the, by the end of the decade, the mid level exception could be pushing $20 million a year. It's just, that's where it's going to be. So, Mark, thanks for doing this, man. I'll enjoy seeing the Monopoly money. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You and I will be getting none of that. Um, Mark, thanks for doing this, man. Thanks for coming on with me. And uh, I will look forward to seeing you during the course of the season and having you back on. Likewise. Appreciate you as always. And yeah, we'll have a lot of fun games to watch in LA and everywhere else. And everyone listening, we'll be back with another Pro Basketball Talk podcast next week. Plus, check out... um, Monday or Tuesday, uh, we're still getting hammered down. We're, I'm going to have a video up uh, breaking down my season predictions uh, up on NBC Sports and on YouTube. So uh, look for that. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we will talk to you next week. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, They'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel.